0: Folklore. What does that mean? Well, the term was first coined by William J. Toms in the 19th century, uh, defined as traditional beliefs and customs of the common people. Also defined as of the common people whose culture is handed down orally. Folklore, storytelling, and mythical creatures exist in every culture. In fact, many of the same creatures exist across cultures with slight variations. I wanted to start a bit of a series about folklore in several different cultures. Uh, While there are many that reflect similar tales in other places, there are also some that are incredibly unique to the places that they come from. Some beautiful, some terrifying, some morose, and some meant merely to scare children. (laughs) And nothing more. I want to visit a few areas of the world with y'all and explore some of the most special tales. This week we're starting with Romania. You are listening to the Rainy Book Nook Podcast. I am your host, Shelby. Welcome. And welcome to the Mythical Series. The next handful of episodes will be themed, and the theme is folklore and mythical creatures. I was initially just going to do one episode and sort of like put a bunch of stories into one, and I thought that was unfair to uh, the probably tons and tons of great stories there are out there so I thought it would be more beneficial to do it sort of grouping it by countries uh so yeah I'm I I'm don't really have a specific reason that I picked Romania. I just, I landed on it uh, after watching like a mythical creatures YouTube video. Actually, choosing Romania as a starting point was quite the challenge. I thought, I don't know, I thought I would find a lot of information about anything that I looked up in, you know, any country that there would be a, a bunch of stuff on, online about it. But this was not the case with Romania. I think maybe on romanian internet there is more to find i'm sure there is more to find i know this because i found a couple of romanian websites on accident just by like looking at google images and kind of clicking through those and that was definitely where i found the best information pretty much anything i found in english um was not very extensive and it was kind of you know it was just very limited details if there was even anything about it some of it is there's one very small Wikipedia article about it, and that's it. So I don't really want to trust that that's actually something that Romanian people tell as a story, you know? So it was, it was difficult to settle on what I was able to find, um, but what I was able to learn is there was a few people in the 19th century who made it their mission to collect the tales of Romanian folklore from the people, and turn it into literature, which is what I was able to find. And um, I'm gonna read some of the stuff that I found on the websites, but then I'm gonna read a story. It is kind of a long story, so I hope it doesn't bore you guys. But I thought it was, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a very old story, but it's written in a very fun and whimsical way. So hopefully we all enjoy it together. Um, but so I'm gonna start with these uh, Ladies of the Woods, the ELA. It's I-E-L-E. These are Romanian mythological creatures that are similar to fairies or nymphs in other cultures. Like much of the stuff I found while looking all of this up, there is a lot of debate over, you know, the origins and the purpose of these creatures. That's just kind of how it goes with folklore. You know, it's, it's something that evolves generationally and also probably person to person. So these ladies of the woods are female-presenting mythological creatures who resemble humans. Um, They don't have any wildly mythological look to them, but rather an aura of beauty and desire. They are either seen in the nude or wearing a soft and essentially see-through or sheer dress. They have crystal-like voices, which is such a fun imagination prompt, I just I, I love how that sounds. Much like the description of their voice, though, the description of their visual appearance proves very difficult, to put into words. Often they have beautiful, long hair, but it'll usually be disheveled. Um, When they're seen nude, it's supposedly like just barely covering their chest. Uh, These ladies of the woods' origins vary among professionals, like I said earlier. Um, One theory is that they are the souls of women cursed during their time on Earth, and they were doomed to never find peace in the afterlife, and I don't know really why they would have been cursed, but I guess it just kind of is something that happens to you from seeing these creatures as well, which we'll get into. Um, another theory was that they are Alexander the Great's daughters. I don't know enough about that particular line of theory, um, but I think that's its own, its own tale from that culture. As legend goes, when the ladies are spotted, they are usually in clusters of three, five, seven, or nine, but no more than that. They appear at night and in the moonlight, they dance auras with bells on their ankles. This is a dance originating in Jewish culture, but definitely has variations all across Europe. In Romania, it is a dance where the dancers take each other's hands and the dancers will spin in a circle while following a sequence of three steps forward and one step back as they spin. So it's, it's definitely what I envision when I think of traditional wedding dancing or like festive gatherings like that. When the ladies dance, the ladies of the woods, don't you dare get caught peeping. Evidently this dance is something they do not like being seen doing, but it's kind of that catch 22 with these sort of creatures. If you see them doing it, they get really mad, but they'll also invite you to do it with them. And if you refuse to do it, that's bad too. So it's just kind of not a good time. It's not good ever. (laughs) The ground beneath them is left charred after they complete their dances, like a sort of a fire pit left behind blackened circle of grass. It's said that if someone is to walk across a circle left by these ladies of the woods that they will grow sick immediately. Nothing will grow there for quite some time, Um, but when it does it is said that the grass that grows will be off color or even red. Grazing animals will actually choose to avoid the circle even when the grass does grow back and fungi will soon inhabit the space. For me, I'm gonna like sidebar a little bit there. I think It's very common as well in folklore to have a consistent, you know, big bad or villain, if you will. Things like spiders, snakes, mushrooms, they're always associated with evil and bad. And so, honestly, that's why people are afraid of spiders. You're afraid of spiders because your whole life you've seen them in scary movies, you've seen them associated with Halloween, you've seen them associated with things that are also associated with fear. A lot of the times, that's why things like that exist, right? I'm just gonna say I think it's unfair that they're throwing fungi into the mix here. (laughs) Some of the other common habits of the ELA are that they will bathe at crossroads, which means travelers will encounter them. So that's a common behavior for them. They also are said to enjoy bathing in peoples fountains in their gardens, um, in even like their cups and their glasses, so apparently it's a common thing for people to keep their glasses turned uh, so that the top of it is on the surface that it's sitting on when they're not using it. Although the ELA are not inherently evil by some accounts, everything they touch becomes dangerous. So if you go to Romania, it's said that you should stay away from forested areas at night, which that's a good idea, like literally anywhere, so do that. Um, yeah, don't, don't do that. But if you just so happen to find yourself needing to take a midnight stroll and you encounter one of these ladies of the woods, it is said that the best way to appease them and keep them from maiming you is to just say you're a stranger and ask for forgiveness. Um, I don't, I don't think it's actually going to work, but please try your best. So I think, you know, if you have read really any tales of mythological creatures across various cultures you you can see how these might resemble fairies or nymphs or the nordic elves who also dance in a circle and leave behind scorched earth it's it's an example of one of those that i think is is seen in a lot of different cultures. You know, I think the trend is similar as well, and that they're gorgeous, unattainable, and only dangerous when they need to be. Some local protections against the ELA are wearing garlic and mugwort around your waist, in your bosom, or even hung from your hat. So I did find another source though on that one of the Romanian websites uh, that called the ELA evil, like straight-up evil, and that they're the euphemistic names given to them like fairies and nymphs are just given to them to make them appear less evil and more powerful to uh, other people. Um, I did find an incredible book online by Jacob Bernard Segal and it covers some of the most popular Romanian folklore. In the introduction it talks about a man named Peter Ispirescu who is hailed as being one of the first people who set out on collecting the folktales of Romania. Seemingly, in an effort to publish them, which he did, he would go um, straight to the source, to villages and talk to um, traditional Romanian people. It is heavily stressed in this introduction as well that the people he gathered the tales from were peasants who essentially lived such simple lives that they believed in magical creatures because what else would they do to distract themselves from the very tragedy that is their daily lives? Yeah, the book is definitely from the early 1900s. It's, It's walking the line of... A little bit offensive, which is pretty unfortunate, but Jacob Bernard Segal was just the person who grabbed Peter's tales, put them in this book, wrote an introduction, released said book. While a lot of it was difficult to find information on, one thing that is not difficult to find information on, there's a lot of tales about this guy, Fête Frumos with the golden hair. In Romanian folktales retold that book I am going to read from it is titled lad handsome with the golden hair wanted to read it um, Straight from the source because I thought okay I have the option to read it and paraphrase it to you guys and I was only going to read a passage initially But the more I read of the story I thought I want you guys to hear the whole thing and there are six other tales in this book that you can check out Of course, I put all my sources in the description, so you'll be able to see the book as well if you would like. It is public domain. You have, you know, free access to it, so take a rip. In the days of long ago, there was an old hermit. He was very, very poor, and he lived all alone in his hut in a great big forest. The wild beasts were all the neighbors he had, and when they met him, just fancy, they would always bow respectfully because he was such a good and pious old man. One morning, while strolling along the river, which flowed past not very far from his hut, he saw a small wooden box floating down with the current and it seemed to him he heard a low wailing moan come forth from out of the box. He pondered just for a little while and then offering a short prayer, he waded into the water clean up to his neck and with the aid of a pole, he pulled the box ashore and he opened it. And what should he see in the box? Why, a tiny wee little baby boy only about two months old, crying bitterly. But in the very moment the hermit took him from out of the box into his arms, the poor little baby left off weeping. Tied onto the baby's neck was an amulet in which the old man found a note saying that the little boy belonged to the king's own daughter. The hermit liked the baby providence and set him very much and he was most anxious to keep him and to bring him up, but unfortunately he was not but a poor old man and he had no food at all to give to the little child. He wept long and bitterly, and falling down upon his knees, he prayed to heaven for help. And behold, a vine sprang forth from out of the ground, hard by the hut, and it bore the most beautiful grapes, and lo, the vine grew ever taller and taller until it reached up to the roof of the hut. And the old man plucked a few grapes from off the vine, and he gave them to the little baby who ate them all. At this, the hermit was overwhelmed with joy, and he offered up prayers and thanks for the aid he had received in his hour of need. When the baby had grown up, the hermit taught him how to read and write all about herbs and likewise how to use the bow and arrows to hunt the wild beasts of the forest withal. And the boy got to be a very fine lad indeed. And he was quite happy too, though he had never seen any human being except the hermit. But one day, the old man said to him, My dear boy, I am very, very old and I am getting weaker and weaker daily, and I feel that my time is drawing near. But three days more, and I shall have passed away into the far beyond. Know then that I am not your real father. When you were but a wee little baby, I found you drifting down the river in a small wooden box. Now, my dear boy, give heed to what I am going to say. When my body has become cold like ice, and my limbs numb and stiff, you will know that I am no more. And a great big lion will come forth out of the forest, but you need not have any fear of him, for he will do you no harm whatsoever. He will dig my grave, and you shall lay my body to rest, and then throw the sod down upon it. That done, you will climb up into the garret, and there you will find a bridle. And you will take hold of the bridle with your hands, and give it a good hard shake. And as the old man said, even so it happened. Three days later he laid himself down on his hard couch, and he breathed his last. A great big lion came forth from out of the forest and dug his grave, and the lad buried the old hermit, and for three days and three nights he stirred not from the grave, so overcome was he with grief and sorrow. Finally, faint with hunger and thirst, he moved towards the vine to get himself a grape, but lo! It had withered away altogether, and there was no fruit left upon it at all. And he bethought himself then of the hermit's behest, and he climbed up to the garret, and there, sure enough, he found a bridle. Instantly he grasped it, gave it a good hard shake, and behold, before him stood a magnificent winged steed who cried, What is your bidding, good master? The lad was amazed, and having told the steed of the old hermit's death, he said to him, I stand all alone in my world now, and I want you to bide with me and with my friend. But first of all, I must get away from this place at once and build myself a cabin elsewhere in the forest. I could never be happy here so close to my dear father's grave. So be it, good master. I shall be your friend, cried the steed. But we shall not remain in the forest amongst the wild beasts. We shall go away, far from here, and live amongst people. People! exclaimed the lad. Is that possible? Are we really to live amongst people? Why, certainly, my good master, said the steed. But how is it that no people have ever come to these parts? Asked the lad, greatly puzzled. Why, what would they do here in the wild forest? No, master, if we wish to live amongst human beings, we must needs go and look them up. So be it then, cried the lad joyfully. Let's be off at once. But the steed then told him that out there in the great big world, it was not customary for folk to go out half naked, and that he had better first provide himself with some better clothes. At this, the lad was taken aback, and he felt rather sheepish. But the steed said, Stick your hand into my left ear. And the lad did so. so And he scooped from out the steed's ear a brand new suit of clothes. Okay, I'm good, I'm good. And he tried to put them on, but he knew not how, and he was fearfully vexed with himself. But the steed helped him, and then the lad swung himself on the animal's back, and away he galloped. He traveled and traveled and traveled until he finally came to a big city where he saw thousands and thousands of human beings swarmed back and forth along the great busy thoroughfares. He was well nigh scared unto death. But he soon recovered from his fright, and for days and days he wandered up and down through the beautiful streets, marveling at the tall, handsome buildings, at the big roomy shops with the many pretty things displayed in them, and at the sight of all of those wonderful things, he was happy and contented. But it was not long before he realized that not one of those things could he call his own, and his thoughts went back to the forest, where he had been lord and master over everything, and he felt sorry he had gone away from there. But the steed observed that he was sad, and he tried to comfort him and encourage him and said, Cheer up, good master. Of a truth there is not hereabouts, but is already owned by somebody, but you need not worry about that. You will make your way in the world, yet you just leave that to me. For some time yet the lad carried in the city, getting used to the stir and bustle of its life and the ways of its town folk, And then, mounting on his trusty steed, he set forth to seek his fortune in the wide, wide world. On and on and on he traveled until he came at length to Fairyland. Here ruled three beautiful fairies. Following the counsel of his steed, he went and asked them to employ him as a valet, but they would not even listen to him. However, he begged very, very hard, and finally the fairies, yielding to his entreaties, took him into their services. One day, the steed told the lad that every few years or so, a stream of golden water appeared in the bathhouse, and that the man who was the first to bathe in that water came out of it with his hair all turned into the purest gold. And he also told him about a chest in the bathhouse that were stowed away three magic garments, which the fairies valued over all else in the world, and he advised him to keep close watch over the bathing pool and over the magic clothes as well. Now, the fairies had given the lad permission to move about freely in all the buildings, but they had told him that no matter what happened, he must never set foot in the bathhouse. But he paid no heed to all of this. He did enter the bathhouse. Whenever the fairies were away from home, and he watched, and he watched, always minding as best as ever he could the wise counsel his trusty seed had given him. One fine morning, the fairies went to visit some friends of theirs, but before leaving, they commanded the lad to watch the bathhouse, and should he hear a noise in it, to let them know at once, by tearing out a shingle from off the roof of the building, and they would make haste and return immediately. The fairies, you see, suspected that it was well-nigh time for the golden water to make its appearance again. All day long, the lad had kept a sharp watch. He was on alert every single moment, and sure enough, The wonderful thing happened at length, a beautiful stream of golden water began to flow through the pool in the bathhouse. Instantly he plunged into the pool, and when he came forth from out of it, lo, his hair had turned all into the purest gold. That done, he quickly seized the three magic garments that were hidden away in the chest, and without tarrying to say goodbye to anyone, he mounted his wing steed and away he flew. But no sooner had he passed through the palace gate than the buildings and the courtyard and the garden all set up a tremendous howl, and the fairies, who were just then at the table with their friends making merry, were scared clean out of their wits, and screaming and wailing, they ran back home again at the top of their speed. When the fairies saw the golden water streaming through the pool and noticed that the magic clothes were gone, and with them the lad, their wrath knew no bounds. Instantly, they set out on his trail and they chased and chased the lad until they finally caught up with him by the frontier of Fairyland. However, just as they were about to seize him, our hero passed to the other side, but the fairies could not possibly follow him across because they were not allowed to venture beyond the boundary line. And they were beside themselves with anger and dismay as they cried out to him, Ah, ungrateful one, how could you deceive us? And we have been so good to you, But you must at least let us have a good look at your hair before you depart. Lad handsome, so folks called him. Then let fall his golden hair over his shoulders. And the fairies gazed and gazed upon it. And they turned green with envy and jealousy. And weeping bitterly, they cried, Oh, the wonderful, wonderful hair. In vain have we been waiting for the golden hair all these many years. Oh, you have betrayed us cruelly. But the magic clothes you have taken away, we beseech you, give them back to us, and we shall part good friends. But Lad Handsome kept the clothes, because the fairies had failed to pay him his wages, and setting spurs to his faithful steed, away he galloped. He traveled and he traveled until he reached at last the capital of the kingdom. There he bought himself a bladder, and he put it on his head, and lo, Lad Handsome looked as bald as the palm of his hand. That done, he went to the king's gardener and asked him for a job, but the gardener absolutely refused to have anything to do with him. However, the lad begged and begged, and the gardener finally gave in and hired him, and he made him water the flowers, pull out the weeds, and also prune the trees and cleanse them of caterpillars. And Lad Handsome did exactly as he was bidden, and his master was very well satisfied with his work. The king of that country had three very beautiful daughters. But the cares and troubles of government had kept him so busy, so busy, that he had clean forgotten to marry them off. One day, the maidens went to the garden and picked out three watermelons, and having put them on golden trays, they set them down on the table right before the king. Now this was a very strange thing to do, and the king was greatly surprised at the action of his daughters. So he summoned his counselors and commanded them to solve the puzzle forthwith. They cut the melons up, and what do you think they saw? Why, one melon was just a wee bit overripe, the other melon was just right, and the third melon was on the point of ripening. As the counselors said, all hail, Mighty king, we have solved the riddle. The three melons mean that it is time your daughters got married. On hearing this, the king issued a proclamation announcing that he had resolved to marry off his daughters and it was not long before royal wooers began to arrive from all quarters of the world. The eldest maiden, having chosen a very handsome prince, a magnificent wedding was celebrated, and when the rejoicing and merrymaking was over and done with, she was escorted by the king and his court and his household as far as the frontier of the kingdom. The youngest maiden, however, had danced a bit too much and she was weary, and so she had decided to stay home. Now Lad Handsome, too, remained at home, for somebody had to take care of the garden, but ere long, he had begun to feel rather lonesome. So he donned one of his magic garments, which was strewn all over with golden flowers, and let his golden hair fall down over his shoulders. Having mounted his winged steed, he began to gallop about in the garden, trampling everything underfoot, and having a most enjoyable time. But when he realized at last what he had done, he dismounted, and getting back into his common clothes, he started out repairing the destruction he had wrought in the garden. When the gardener got back home and saw the awful mess, he was angry, and he became nigh giving our hero a good thrashing. But as luck would have it, the princess from her window had seen all that had befallen, and she had asked the gardener to fetch her some flowers. This was not exactly an easy job, but in the out of the way corners that had escaped the hoofs of the rampageous steed, he managed to scrape together a few flowers, which he bound together and took them up to the princess. She gave him a handful of money and asked him, Wouldn't he please spare the poor fellow? Because it was not his fault, really and truly. Quite happy over so handsome a gift, the gardener set to work immediately, and in three weeks' time, he had put everything to rights again, and the garden looked for all the world as if nothing had ever happened to it. It was not very long, however, before the king's second daughter made her choice, and she also got married to a very handsome prince. And there was a tremendous rejoicing and merrymaking, as there had been at her elder sister's wedding, and even a wee bit more. But when it was all over and done with, she likewise was escorted by the king and his court and his household, even as far as the frontier of the realm, just as her sister had been before. Everybody went along, except the youngest princess. She was quite suddenly seized with a headache, and she stayed at home once more. Again the garden was left under the care of Lad Handsome, and he felt lonesome, and he would make merry, even like the other servants of the king. But without his fine clothes and his steed, he could not have a really good time, could he now? So he donned his second magic garment, which was spangled all over with great big gold stars. And having straddled his steed and let fall his beautiful golden hair down upon his shoulders, he scampered all over the garden, having a most glorious time indeed. But when he saw the mischief he had done, he hastily slid down off his steed and he slipped back into his working clothes. And, bemoaning his fate bitterly, he set about mending the damage as best he could. Now, when the gardener came back again and saw the fearful wreckage, he was furious. And he was for thrashing our friend good and hard. And he most surely would have done so, but for the princess who, as before, ordered him to get her some flowers. With great difficulty, he found a few poor specimens and took them up to her. And when she gave two handfuls of money and she asked him again, wouldn't he please spare the fellow? Because really and truly, it was not his fault at all. Once more, the gardener settled down to work, and in four weeks' time, he had the garden pretty nearly in proper shape again. Not very long after, it so befell the king while hunting big game in the forest, came nigh getting killed, and to celebrate his marvelous escape, he had a pavilion built on the same identical spot where his life was saved, and he gave there a most magnificent feast, to which he invited all the courtiers and all of the lords of the realm. Of course, they one and all obeyed the royal summons. Everybody went, except again the king's youngest daughter. She was taken, sick with a headache, quite unexpectedly, and again the poor girl had to stay at home. Once more... Lad Handsome was left behind to take care of the king's garden. And as before, he felt quite lonesome, and he wished to amuse himself, as boys do. So he dressed up in his third magic garment, on which were a golden sun and a golden moon and two great big gold stars. That done, he let fall his beautiful golden hair down upon his shoulders, And swinging himself up onto his steed, he galloped all over the garden, enjoying himself tremendously. And he did not stop before he had trampled everything underfoot. When at last he became aware of the havoc he had wrought, he fell a-weeping most bitterly, and getting into his common clothes again, set about repairing the damage with the utmost diligence. At the sight of the fearful wreckage, the gardener's wrath knew no bounds. And he was just about to give our hero a sound drubbing when the princess once more asked him to bring her some flowers. High and low, he did search, but never a flower could be found. And he searched again, and at length discovered in a far-off corner of the garden two or three miserable little flowers that by some miracle had escaped the Jolly Steed's hooves, and he took them up to the princess. This time, she gave him three handfuls of golden pieces and she asked him wouldn't he please let the poor chap alone for honest to goodness he was not the least bit to blame for what happened it took the gardener now six weeks to repair the damage done and to make the place look like a garden again more or less but he vowed that should such a thing ever occur again He would give the accursed fellow a sound good beating, and then send him about his business to go wheresoever he blankety-blank pleased. (laughs) But the princess was very sad, and she would not even leave her room, and the king was beginning to get worried about her. So he resolved to marry her off at once, and he talked to her about prince this, and about prince that, and about prince the other but she would not even listen to him. She turned a deaf ear whenever marriage was mentioned in her presence. Now, what else could the good king do but summon once again the great council and the lords of the realm as well and ask them what on earth was to be done with his daughter? One of the councilors advised the king to have a pavilion built with a hole in the wall just above the floor instead of a door. The princess sorry, the princess was to stand inside the pavilion holding a golden apple in her hand, and the wooers were to crawl through the hole, and the one she struck on the head with the apple was to be her husband. Okay. And it was done so, but never a one did the princess strike on the head with the golden apple. The counselors and the courtiers and the lords of the realm all felt quite certain now that the maiden would just not get married, except one. He was a wise old courtier who had had many and varied experiences and had seen the ups and downs of life and who knew what's what. And he advised that the king's domestics also should crawl through the hole. And it was done even so. The gardeners, the stewards, and the butlers, and the cooks, and the valets, and the dishwashers, and the coachmen, and the grooms, and the water carriers, and also the common laborers, and even the little scullions. All of them crawled through the hole, but it was simply time and effort thrown away, not did they get for their pains. Never a one did the princess strike away with the golden apple. The king then commanded that a thorough search be made forthwith, thinking that possibly somebody might have been overlooked. And so they searched and searched until finally, they came upon Lad Handsome, hidden away in a far-off corner in the garden. Our friend was in rags and tatters, and he looked dirty, and he was bald as the palm of his hand. At the sight of the king, he smiled, and he cried, Make that poor beggar crawl through the hole, and let's have done with this whole business. To a certainty, my little girl has decided to remain a spinster. However, Lad Handsome would not do as he was bidden. Yet, what with coaxing and with pushing, and at last he was shoved through the whole bodily. And the princess, the very instant she caught sight of him, dealt him a smart blow on upon his bald pate with the golden apple. At this, Lad Handsome made a terrible racket, and he scampered away as fast as ever he could, yelling at the top of his voice that the king's daughter had smashed his head. Well, this was a mighty serious situation. No longer did the king smile, never the least wee bit of a trace of shadow of a smile. Quite the contrary, he scowled a fearful scowl and he cried out, impossible, impossible, mistake, mistake, my daughter marry that bald pitted beggar, never, never impossible, mistake. He could not very well bring himself to give his daughter to a ragamuffin, could he? So he commanded all hands to crawl through the hole once again, and they did so. And as before, the maiden struck Lad Hanson with the golden apple, and he ran off creating a terrible disturbance and yelling that the princess had broken his poor head. Wild with fury, the king again went back on his word, and he ordered them all to crawl through the hole once more. And as before. The princess struck Lad Handsome with the golden apple, and the king was finally compelled to admit that it was not a mistake at all. And yielding to the advice of the great council, he gave his daughter to Lad Handsome in marriage. But the wedding was held in the strictest possible secrecy, and the king commanded both Lad Handsome and his bride to leave the country, vowing that he would never have any further dealings with either of them. Nevertheless, the good king could not but feel pity for them in their sad plight. So he allowed the bridal couple to settle down in a miserable little hovel quite a way off from the palace yard, and he graciously ordered that Lad Handsome be given a job at once as water carrier to the royal household. Lad Handsome's lot was by no means a pleasant one. Everybody made game of him. Even the servants would insult and abuse him. They would dump the garbage of the royal kitchens down onto his hut, which for that reason was always hideous to look at. But inside the hut, It was perfectly beautiful, because Lad Handsome's loyal steed had there gathered together the most wonderful things from all parts of the world. He had made the interior of the hovel look so magnificent that nothing like it could have been found in the king's palace even, nor, for that matter, any other palace in the wide, wide face of the earth. But the royal suitors were in a towering rage because the princess had referred to the common, ordinary servant. But the royal suitors were in a towering rage because the princess had preferred a common, ordinary servant to them. And to revenge themselves, they declared war against her father. Great indeed was the king's sorrow, but he was well aware that there was absolutely no help for it. And so he made all the necessary preparations to meet the enemy forthwith. With his two royal son-in-law. His two royal sons-in-law at once gathered their armies and hastened to lend him assistance. And Lad Handsome too wished to make himself useful, and he sent his wife to ask her father to let him go along and help fight off the enemy. But as the king perceived his daughter, he flew into a violent passion and cried, Out of my sight, you thoughtless wench! You alone are to blame for this unfortunate war. I will have naught to do with you, nor with your 'er ne'er-do-well of a husband either she begged very very hard and the king finally yielded and he graciously appointed lad handsome to be the water carrier to the army on his way to meet the foe king saw lad handsome trying very hard to drag his crippled old mare out of a marsh our good friend pulled and pushed for all he was worth but all to no avail the stubborn animal would not budge and the soldiers laughed and they mocked at lad handsome and never a one even as much thought of lending a helping hand to the poor fellow but no sooner had the troops passed out of sight than, without the least bit of trouble, Lad Handsome got the mare from out of the marsh onto dry land again. That done, he quickly attired himself in. That done, he quickly attired himself in that one of his magic vestments that was bestrewn all over the with golden flowers. And having summoned his good steed, who was always at his beck and call, away he galloped. He halted on top of a big mountain to see towards which side the battle line would sway, and it was not long before the king's forces began to waver and yield ground. Then, swift as lightning, Lad Handsome rushed down upon the enemies, and whirling around and round even like a cyclone, he hewed his way through their breaking ranks, slashing right and left with his mighty sword, and mowing down whosoever dared stand in his path. Terrified by the dazzling brightness of his attire, as well by the rapid movements of his winged steed, the foe bolted, flying for their very lives, and they could be seen scampering about hither and thither, even like the young of partridges when the hunter's swift arrow darts down into the midst of the frightened flock. The king, however, as he beheld Lad handsome victorious over the adversary, thought it was a miracle, and that an angel had been sent down from heaven to save him, and he offered up prayers of thanks, and then he set out for home and once more he saw Lad Handsome, who, dressed like a common laborer once more, was striving mightily to lift the unfortunate mare from out of the marsh. And as the king felt very happy now and was in excellent humor, he took pity on our hero and he issued an order to his bodyguard to lend the poor fellow a hand to get his mare out of the mud, and it was done even so. However, shortly after the enemy invaded the country, a second time and larger numbers than even before, And lad handsome offered the king his services, only again to be met with scorn and contempt. But he begged and begged, and he finally again obtained permission to follow the army as a water carrier. And once more he was found stuck fast in a marsh together with his miserable mare, and he was doing his utmost to pull her out, but the harder he strove, the deeper into the slough she sank. And even as before, the soldiers marching past mocked and jeered at him, and never a one offered to help him out in his sorry plight. But when they were gone, Lad Handsome arrayed himself in the magic garment that was studded all over with great big golden stars, and bestriding his steed, away he flew to succor the king. From the summit of a high mountain he watched the battle line as it swayed to and fro, the advantage resting now with one side, now with the other, seeing at last that the king's armies were getting decidedly the worst of it, handsome at once swooped down upon the enemy, and laying about him with his mighty sword, he routed them up utterly, and they ran for dear life, even like frightened sheep when ravenous wolves unexpectedly pounce down upon the peaceful fold. Once more, the king thought our hero was an angel sent down from heaven to save him, and offered prayers of thanks. He was now proceeding homewards when again he beheld Lad Handsome together with his wretched mare stuck fast in the mud. He ordered his men to help him out, and they did so. But they poked fun at him and bandied jests at his expense. However, he paid no heed to them at all. He secretly rejoiced over his doughty deeds and he and the great success of his undertaking. But it was not long before the enemy once again broke the peace and overran the country, numberless as the sands of the seashore. The king was overwhelmed with sorrow, and he wept long and bitterly. But realizing that there was positively no help for it, he at length took heart again, and putting his trust in God, he gathered his armies together, and once more he sallied forth to join battle with the cruel foe. As before, lad handsome was found struggling mightily to raise his unhappy hair out of a morass, and king's men chafed and scoffed at him, never at one stopping to help the poor chap out of his predicament. But as soon as they were gone, he donned the magic garment that had the golden sun and the moon and the stars embroidered upon it, and in an instant his good steed had carried him to the top of a big mountain, from which he could follow the progress of the battle, and see towards which side the victory would lean. The king's men fought stubbornly, they gave no quarter, and asked for none. Never an inch of ground did they yield throughout the day. Towards sundown, however, they showed signs of weakening, and soon their ranks began to falter and they broke. Then, swift as a thunderbolt, Lad Handsome hurled himself down upon the enemy, and crashing right through their midst, he threw them into utter confusion. The dazzling brilliancy of his golden raiment well nigh blinded them, and a great panicky terror struck deep into their hearts. They stampeded, flying they knew not whither, and trampling one another to death, even like affrighted cattle, when all of a sudden a hungry lion bears down upon the unsuspecting herd. They fell under his mighty sword, like ill weeds under the sweeping scythe of the toiling ploughman. But it befell that Lad Handsome had injured his arm, and the king gave him his own handkerchief to tie around his wound. And once more the king believed him to be an angel, and he offered up prayers and thanks and then he departed for home again, safe from all that danger at last. And as before, Lad Hansen was found deep in a bog together with his mare, and he was jibed and jeered at, and the king commanded that they be hauled out, and it was done. Not very long after his return home, the king was suddenly taken ill, and he lost his eyesight. From all over the world, the most renowned doctors and astrologers were summoned to his bedside, yet never a one could do anything for him. One night an old man appeared to him in a dream and told him that unless he washed his eyes with the milk drawn from a wild red goat he could never hope to get cured of his blindness. Instantly the two princes, the king's sons-in-law, sent forth in search in in search of a wild red goat, but they would not let Lad handsome go along with them. Nay, they were so mean, so mean that they forbade him to take the same road. So lad handsome at once summoned his steed and set off without them, and he traveled and traveled until he finally reached the moorlands, and there he hunted for days and days until at length he managed to catch a wild red goat and milk her. That done, he took a pail and filled it with the plain sheep's milk, and then he put on shepherd's clothes and went forth to meet the two royal princes, but they failed to recognize him and they asked him what kind of milk he had in that pail. He pretended not to know them and replied that it was milk drawn from a red wild goat and that he was carrying it to the king who had lost his eyesight and had dreamt that he would not be cured unless he washed his eyes with such milk. The princes then tried to buy the milk from him, but he would not sell it. He told them, however, that they might have it, provided they owned themselves his slaves and allowed him to stamp his seal upon their backs. After that, they would be free to go wherever they liked, never to see him again anymore. Now, because they were the king's sons-in-law, the princes thought that they might do whatever they pleased. So they agreed to be his slaves, and they let him stamp his seal on their backs, and away they went with the sheep's milk. They decided that were he ever to claim them for his slaves, they would deny everything and say he was mad. And they felt perfectly sure that because they were the royal princes and the king's sons-in-law to boot... Everybody would take their word for it and pay no attention whatsoever to this poor miserable shepherd. The princess took the milk to the king and he bathed his eyes with it, but never the least bit of good did it do for him. Then his youngest daughter brought him a bowl of milk and she said to him, "Father, here is some milk my husband is sending you. Wash your eyes with it, Pray, I am sure that it will cure you." But the king was wroth and he cried, Why, the princes themselves have failed, and your idiot of a husband who has never done anything worthwhile hopes to cure me? Besides, how many times have I told you never to come before my eyes, you impertinent hussy? How dare you break my command? (laughs) She replies humbly. It is true. I have disobeyed your order. Do with me whatever you may choose, but do try this milk. I'm sure it will help. And she begged so hard that the king finally yielded and laved his eyes with the milk she had brought him. And he did so the next day also, and to his great amazement and joy, he was able to see dimly as through a great film. And when upon the third day he began to apply the milk to his eyes, he was cured completely. And his sight was as good and as keen as anybody's on the wide face of the earth." To celebrate his wonderful recovery, the king resolved to have a great feast to his counselors and to the lords of the realm, and upon their entreaties, he allowed Handsome also to attend the banquet, but he ordered that he be placed away, way down at the foot of the table. The guests were rejoicing and making merry when our hero, still in his peasant garb, rose to his feet and said, O mighty king, with your gracious leave, may I ask whether a slave has a right to be seated at the table together with his master? Certainly not, replied the king. Then the lad cried, O mighty king, you are famed the wide, wide world over as a wise and just ruler. I therefore beseech you to be pleased to do justice to your humble subject. Behold those two men yonder seated at your right and at your left. Drive them hence from the royal board. They are my bondmen. My seal is on their backs. At this, the two princes were so astounded that for quite a while they were bereft of speech altogether. When they had found their tongues again, they admitted that it was even as the youth had said. The king was very angry, and he ordered the princes to leave the table forthwith and to go and eat in the kitchen together with the common servants. Towards the end of the banquet, Lad Handsome again arose, and he produced the handkerchief the king had given him on the field of battle. Why, this is my handkerchief, cried the king beside himself with amazement. However did you get it? With mine own hand I gave it to the beautiful angel on the field of battle, who by miracle saved us from destruction. Your Highness, I crave your pardon. You gave this handkerchief to me on the battlefield. "'Impossible! It was not you who conquered the foe! You're not an angel, are you?' cried the king in great bewilderment. "'Almighty king, it was I who helped you!' declared the lad modestly. "'Impossible! Impossible!' the king cried again, utterly dumbfounded. "'I cannot believe it! Prove it! You don't resemble in the least the beautiful golden-haired angel to whom I gave my royal handkerchief. "'You are homely like sin! You are as bald as a billiard ball!' Lad, handsome, then left the hall, and in an instant he was back again, arrayed in his most beautiful vestment, the one with a sun and a moon and two great big stars, entirely out of purest gold, and his beautiful golden hair let down over his shoulders. At the sight of him, they all recognized the beautiful angel, and they stood in utter amazement, dazzled by the brightness of his attire far more than if they had been gazing at the sun in heaven. The king then praised his daughter for having chose Lad Handsome for a husband, and he bade him take a seat upon the throne at his right hand. And the first command our hero issued from the throne was that the two princes be made free men again. And for days and days there was tremendous rejoicing and merrymaking throughout the length and breadth of the kingdom. I too was present at the banquet, and I was seated right beside Lad Handsome, I'm telling you the truth, I warrant you. And if you don't wish to believe me, why, you needn't. That's all. And that's actually the end of the story. Um, I I thought it was a lot longer than that. I didn't see the break in the story when I initially read this through. Uh, well, I didn't- I didn't read it all the way through when I first looked at it. I got a few pages in, and that's when I decided I wanted to read the whole thing. So actually, I experienced most of that for the first time with you guys. (laughs) Got caught off guard in some points. I really actually enjoyed that story, uh... I had read like a general synopsis of it, but I hadn't read anything in length of it. You know, you either love or you hate in these types of stories. That it, the nature of them is kind of repetition as you as you watch the pieces fall together. I personally love that because my brain loves when things kind of like fall perfectly together. Um, you know, I think that's I think everybody's brain loves that, right? So. I enjoy that because I can kind of watch the story progressing and the levels building behind it. Obviously, I don't really understand. um, (laughs) I don't really understand why he destroyed this garden like over and over. I'm not sure if I'm missing something about that. Actually, because I was worried that I missed something very obvious. I kind of like went back and reread the beginning just now. Um, I think... I think I get it now basically he was able to trick he was pretty much just tearing up the garden because he boys will be boys and he wanted to destroy something I think but because he switched into his fancy garments when he was doing it when he switched back out and got to work the princess was like oh well it wasn't him that did it like she saw somebody else do it so that makes more sense to me now but he was just kind of sounds like he was just kind of tearing it up to tear it up and the actual gardener was like by the end of it not even able to make it a real garden again I'm not entirely following it I'll be honest so if you guys have a better take on it let me know I do really like the story though I love fables fairy tales but you know what have you so that's why I'm really excited to do this series you know I, I touched very briefly on Romanian folklore and and whatnot. I did try my hardest to find like a lot more extensive stuff about this. This particular book is probably the best thing I've found so far. Also, sorry if you can hear it sounds like my neighbor is Putting some stuff up in the walls, which is awesome. Good for him. I'm really happy for him So yeah, sounds like Lad Handsome just owned, you know, just owned everyone. rags to riches figured out how to how to get his way into royalty so good for him um you know uh I I am curious to hear what you guys might have gathered from that like what you heard and what moral of the story you feel it is um it's kind of one of those things I'm sure the more I read it I'll, I'll get something different from it each time. I mean, just like I said, going back to the beginning, I was able to kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's why she didn't know that or she was saying that it wasn't him because he, she thought it wasn't him, genuinely. Um, honestly, truly, it wasn't him. <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, All right, the next region is going to be – what is the next region? What do you guys want the next region to be? I've gotten a few people sending me some tales from like places that they're from, and so I'm sort of cataloging all of those. But uh, I would I would love for you guys to like keep doing that. And also, if you do have a preferred region you want me to focus on next, let me know. Um, obviously, I probably could have done. A five-hour, ten-hour, whatever episode on, uh, you know, if I wanted to encompass all of the tales. I, I only talked about a couple things. Um, I chose the ELA to talk about first because I really, I, lo- I just thought they sounded, you know, kind of beautiful and mysterious. So, you know, I, I, I did read about other creatures. Um, some pretty scary ones like the Capcown, which I think that word actually just directly translates to ogre because when I looked Capcown up on YouTube, I got like nothing except for one Romanian fairy tale video and then another one that was actually the Romanian masked singer, and it was somebody um, dressed as this ogre, which the Capcown uh, in legend is described as like a beast with potentially multiple heads, uh, potentially an extra limb, so I think that's what she was dressed up as. But, um, you know, it was... These things that I found were the things that I was able to find the most information on, which was why I settled on kind of making the episode about the two of them. But there is, you know... there's surely more to be found, and there was more that I found, but not a lot of extensive information on the things that I found. And I didn't want to just talk about vampires because that seems like too easy. It seems too easy. So that's why I wanted to kind of go a different direction. But uh, you know, what I'm trying to say is that there's definitely more to learn about Romanian um, folktales and I highly encourage you to click the link that will take you to that book because like I said there's other tales in the book and um if you liked that one uh from from my skimming they all seem to kind of have that that nature to them of um you know well they're they're folklore that's just that's that's what they are um all right I am rambling so I'm gonna tie this up um if you guys have any suggestions for the next region or future episode themes uh, please message me on Instagram. Uh, my account is at the rainy book nook, or you can email me therainybooknook at gmail.com Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for being here with me every time. You guys are awesome. Couldn't do it without you. And um, stay away from people with long golden hair who trample gardens. See you next time.